Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. What's up, everybody? Welcome to church. Why don't you go ahead and high five three people on your way down. You don't have to really touch them, just in the air. Say, God save now. Carla touched on it. That's what Hosanna means. God save now. I need God to save now. I need God to come through right now. I wonder how many in here today have something, man, you, you need God to come through now. You need God to be the savior that he is. You need him to do stuff that nobody else can do. Maybe you don't know about it yet, but by the end of this message, I am determined to get you stirred up about the fact that God saves and he can save right now. Before we get there, why don't you do me a favor and bust out your app, your Fierce app. If you don't have it, go ahead and go to the Play Store or the App Store and download. Just search Fierce Church because I want to show you something on this. We got to have a little teaching moment so we all know how to do this, okay? Um, if you don't have a phone or an app, we'll just shout. It's all right. We'll just we'll call to you over the air. Um, but hey, go ahead and download that. Go to the weekend tab. This is where you kind of like interact with the worship experience, okay? So go to the weekend tab. Two things I want to show you. First is it's kind of the third little button you could push down. It says digital program. That gives you a little flash report of everything going on in the church this week. It has the message notes. It has everything you need to know, how we're doing, everything about everything. So go ahead. Every week you can check that out, the digital program, okay? Uh, then next go to two down to engagement card. This is something I want to invite everybody to participate in during the preaching. Maybe some places you feel weird about being on your phone while somebody's talking. Don't ever feel weird about that here. I want you on the phone. I want you to be engaging with this engagement card because I want to know a few things. During every message, you might experience a challenge. You might just feel some way of like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm being challenged to do something. Go ahead. There's a little box that says, challenge I'm taking today. Go ahead and write in whatever your challenge is and or write down a prayer request. We are a praying church. I want to be praying for you. These prayer requests come directly to me. So anything you, anytime you ever want prayer, you don't even have to be in the worship experience. It could be somewhere, it could be Tuesday, but you still want prayer, go ahead and turn that in and we'll get praying for you right away. Sound like a deal? All right, so today, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I didn't invent it. I didn't put any of it together. I'm just telling you about it. So thank you. Um, hey, today we're going to talk about what to do when we discover that we have a victim's mentality. And I want to say right off the bat, in, in one sense, everybody's a victim. Everybody is a victim of our own sin. Okay, if we're looking at this from the way the Bible talks about it, we all sin and our sin causes us pain. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. That's why God doesn't want us to sin, because it causes pain to us and to others. We're also the victim of everybody else's sin. Okay, People are not just sinning unto themselves, they're sinning into the world. And their sin is ricocheting off of us, and it's causing consequences, and it's causing pain. So there's, there's real specific, deep, hard kinds of trauma where we're a victim. But there's also just general victimhood that comes from being on planet earth. That is the, the planet that the Bible describes to us. That is what is happening. Well, there is that second kind of victimhood though. This is where maybe something happened to us that has on some levels stalled us. It's shut us down. It's affected our thinking. So now we look at the future through the lens almost of the past. We have a hard time being optimistic. We have a hard time moving forward because, well, what if that thing happens again? 
Or what if something like that thing happens again? We begin to feel helpless. We begin to feel powerless. It can, it can be very different things for different people. Okay, we don't all respond the same way to the same trauma. So let's say two teenagers are in the exact same car accident when they're young. And one has a very traumatic experience. They're like, their emotional response to that is, is pretty deep. And the other one is, you know, it, it, was, it was a bad thing, but it wasn't, the, they just don't have the same response. We can have different responses even to the same trauma. So we never have to feel like we should feel worse about something or we should feel better about something just because somebody else does. We've all got our own versions of being a victim here on this planet. Maybe it was something that somebody else did to you. Maybe it was, you know, it wasn't something they did. It was just the things they kept saying. They kept saying this kind of thing. And they got, to, they got you to the place where you just felt like, you know, other people are powerful, but I'm, I don't have any power. I don't have any way that I can move forward. That's for other people. Other people seem to know what to do next. I feel like I'm afraid to do anything next. I have a hard time being assertive. I feel like often I want to say yes, but I just end up saying no. Maybe I want to say no, but because of whatever I've been through, I feel like I have to say yes just to keep people happy because for some reason, part of my trauma is that I feel the need to keep people happy. And we all have these different kinds of victimhood and they shut us down and the real danger with a victim mentality, okay? So now we're not just talking about the fact that something has happened to us. It's affected how we're thinking. That is a victim's mentality. The, the real danger with a victim mentality is it can keep us, as sad as it is, and as much compassion as we would have for anybody, it can keep us from taking responsibility for growth and progress and really looking at the future through the lens of faith and through the lens of optimism, through the lens of how God wants us to think about something. And so we become very resistant to change maybe, but it's change, most often it's change that actually brings growth. And so what I want to do today is I want to stir you up to begin to view the future through the lens of this is how God wants you to think about how you think about your future. Does that make sense? We can get stalled, we can get stuck, and God doesn't want us to be stuck. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look at an old victim to see how he begins to recover so that we ourselves can recover and look at the future with a little bit more optimism. This old victim is Jacob. And here's what we're going to say. Even an old victim becomes a conqueror when they decide to trust God. Even an old victim becomes a conqueror when they decide to trust God. And just so you know, you don't have to be old for this to apply, okay? You can just feel like you've been in it. You'll be 20, but feel like this has been happening for a long time, and it's already begin, begun to shut you down. Here's one of the things that we're going to find. Sometimes the very thing that we're avoiding is the very thing that we need to step toward in order to see progress, that's the thing that's going to bring breakthrough because sometimes what really needs to change before the situation can change is I need to change before that situation can change. There's got to be something that changes in me. See, whether we like it or not, God in the Bible works by faith. He works by faith. And that's one of the secret plots of our spiritual foe as he wants to shut down faith. He's not afraid of just about anything except for faith. 
except for some believer that is on fire with faith. That's what he's afraid of. So he's trying to do everything to shut it down, to get us to say, well, you know, it's probably going to go just like it went before. Probably going to get hurt again. Probably no one's ever going to understand me the way I wished they would. He's trying to stifle us, trying to stop us. And so we're going to look at Jacob. Now, Jacob is one of those, man, he's a used-to-be hero. He's a used-to-be hero. He's now an old man that used to really do amazing things for God. Okay, once upon a time, he, you know, and he, he was kind of rebellious a lot of the time, so it's not that he did everything right, but he was willing to trust God, didn't have any hope, and so he just trust God. He trusted God when he went to see Uncle Laban. He trusted God when he had to meet with Rachel and Leah, and it was time to go back, and he might get killed by his older brother Esau, but he still, he's like, well, you know what? God's leading us. God's leading us, so we gotta go. Let's go, family. He trusted God when he was, dude, he was wrestling an angel, wrestling the angel of the Lord. And he's, I mean, listen to this dogged attitude he's got. I will not let you go until you bless me. That was his attitude. I ain't going to stop. Nothing is going to stop me. But now he's stopped. And the reason he stopped is because of some trauma that has happened 20 years ago in our story. And that is that he sent his son Joseph out to find his older brothers and his son Joseph never came back. What really happened was that the brothers sold him into slavery. They didn't like him. They didn't like his dreams. They didn't like that he seemed to be claiming to be somebody. And they came back. They brought a bloody coat. And they said, well, dad, sorry, the son's gone. And ever since then, dad has been beat down and depressed. And he's, he's afraid to believe again. And we're going to find in this moment where he could really demonstrate some real spiritual fortitude, when he could really demonstrate hey, family, this is what you do right now. When things are really bad, when things are really down, here's what we do is we believe God. When he could be doing that, instead we find him really timid. We find him really slow to pray. We find him really slow to bring up God at all because now he's shut down and now he's afraid of what has happened in the past. And one unique thing that we're gonna notice about him, he's around a lot of people, but he's very alone. There's plenty of people around him, but he's very alone. And sometimes when we're a victim, when you and I are victims, we tend to isolate. And we think really, hey man, you're like, I get it and nobody else gets it. And so I don't really need anybody else to weigh in on this. And you can be around a lot of people, but you're kind of in your own world. And in your victimhood, which is real, you also just begin to tune out other voices other places from where healing might begin to trickle in. That's one of the symptoms of having significant trauma and victimhood thinking. Let's check out. I want to give you some symptoms of a broken believer. Now, symptoms of a broken believer. We're, we're using broken in a negative sense. There actually is a good sense of broken when we're talking about spiritual matters. Okay, there's, there's a sense where many of us, maybe not all of us, some of us have a really compliant personality perhaps. But many of us, me, um, we need to be broken, just like a wild horse needs to be broken. There's something in us, our will is so like powerful that it's unruly, and God has to allow some significant trial just to get us spirit surrender. But we're not talking about that. Everybody needs that. Just about everybody, I think, needs that kind of brokenness. We're not talking about that. We're talking about where something isn't fixed. We're talking about something doesn't work now. There's no more battery juice left in it. That is where Jacob is. Now, for those of you who don't know, he's going to be called Jacob and Israel. It's interchangeable, all right? 
in terms of how he's referred to, but let's pick it up. Genesis 42, 29. The boys are coming back. They're coming back from Egypt. Remember, we're in the midst of a big famine, and they're coming back with some food, weirdly coming back with some money that they shouldn't be coming back with, and they're coming back with one less son than they should have right now. So verse 29, when they came to hear their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who's Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we're honest men, we're not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I'll know whether you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother back to me. That's Benjamin. Bring him back to me so I will know that you're not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. Okay, so um, just to review so everyone can understand if you haven't heard the rest of the series, I recommend actually going back to the previous message because that's where a lot of this happened. Long story short, God is using Joseph to bring about a version of a significant trial for these brothers so that they're convicted, so that they... Uh, own their guilt, and they get back on track with the plan of God. He's kept their brother there. They don't know that, it's, that Joseph is who he is. They're coming back empty-handed, essentially, to their old man. They do have a little bit of food for a little while, but not indefinite, and one of the brothers is missing. Hopefully, you feel caught up a little bit. But I, w- I want you to know, notice one of the things the text is pointing out right now. One is, this is still a dysfunctional family. This has been a dysfunctional family for generations. It's still a dysfunctional family. And one of the reasons we can take encouragement from that is because God uses dysfunctional families. It's the only kind he has. Sometimes people that aren't familiar with the Bible, like they're tripped out the first time they begin to understand some of the narratives here because they're like, what the heck? Everyone here is an idiot. Everyone here is evil. Like everyone here, except this guy, Jesus, but everybody else Everybody else seems like, why is God using them? Because that's what God has. That's all he has to deal with. Most of the heroes in the Bible are actually people that are very, very flawed. And they just happen to get some things right as they trust God and God moves along with the plan. But anyway, these kids, I don't know if you noticed, they're, they're not kids anymore, they're his kids. <clears throat> they're lying they're, by omission. They're leaving some stuff out. Okay, one, they didn't bring up the fact that they were in prison for three days. They just let, they're just kind of coloring it to make it sound better. They brought up trading in the land. Joseph didn't say anything about trading in the land. Joseph's like, go get your brother or he's dead. Go get your brother or this other one's dead. Like that's all he said about that and hurry up and get back. So they're painting this thing a little bit prettier than it is. And maybe for us, maybe that's one of the reasons you've been hurt. If somebody, you know, they told you kind of half the truth or they told you what they thought you wanted to hear. Or maybe you thought they were going to tell you more and they just, it didn't occur to them, they didn't think about it, but you feel like, man, I was trusting that someone was going to communicate this to me and then, you didn't, then they didn't. And you know, that's hard, man. That's happened to me for certain. Probably I've undercommunicated to people as well. Like probably every one of us knows what it's like where you want to be more direct and for some reason you don't choose to be in that moment. You leave something out. Either way, these guys are leaving some significant things out that they could have told Jacob, but they didn't. And here's some good news for us that we can just trust. This isn't even one of the points of the message, but God will always tell you the truth. Like God will always tell you, God will, aren't you so glad? Like God has never shaped it for you. He's never shaded it different than it is. God just tells us the truth. Here's one of the difficulties. Here's one of the, um, I'm I'm gonna tell on the back room of the church here a little bit. I'll tell you how how this goes for church people. Here's the danger. 
Sometimes people start coming to church and they fall in love with some of the people. They're very kind and they're very, man, they like feel like they're filled with the spirit or they're very charismatic and they attach to some people at church. And, and that's good. And yet it also kind of goes south because they begin to relate to God through those people. So as long as those people stay good, they're good with God. Here was what was supposed to happen. When, when, when someone comes to church, the church is supposed to do their best to put their hand in the hand of Jesus. Jesus. So that that relationship really is between the person and Jesus. And yeah, the church is there, cool. But when your faith is dependent on church people rather than Jesus himself, as soon as they mess something up, you're like, forget this, man, I'm out of here. These guys are all hypocrites. How many done that? Yeah, um, they are. They were, always were, okay? Their win was to get your hand in the hand of Jesus. And so I just wanna encourage everybody, dude, church ain't it. Church is good. Church is something we need. It's, you're, you're gonna see in later in this, we definitely need some of the stuff that is at church. But what we really need is Jesus. And if we have our faith in anything other than Jesus himself, the moment that thing falls, which it will, or disappoints you, or doesn't talk to you in the hallway, and you're like, I'm offended now, Anytime anything like that happens, which might be ridiculous, it's because your faith was really, when, when, dude, when you're plugged into Jesus, you're just not surprised. You're like, well, gosh, God's having grace on a sinner like me. I'm not surprised there's other sinners around here. Of course, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a hello clue phone. We all need it, okay? We're not in heaven yet, yo, okay? Everybody's still full of sin. That's how we're going. How do we even get here? This isn't even the message. Let's keep going. All right. <laughs> Verse 35, and they were emptying their sacks. There in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Okay, so they're, again, they're like, oh my gosh, this is God trying to punish us. Now the man's gonna come after us. Their father Jacob said to them, you've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, and now you wanna take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Now, here is one of the first things we've got to note. Symptoms of a broken believer. The first one, letter A, is overreacting. I don't know if you notice him overreacting here a little bit. And to be sure, to be fair, there's some places where Jacob, yeah, man, this has been a tough, this is a tough deal. You're in the midst of famine. You already lost one kid 20 years ago, and now this other one is stuck in Egypt. But everything is against you? By the way, did you see what he said? He said, um, Simeon is no more. What? Simeon is no more? Oh man, he's waiting in Egypt for you to come rescue him. He's in jail. He ain't dead. He ain't dead. Somebody <laughs> go after the boy. What do you mean? You're just writing him off as dead? That's a little bit of an overreaction. And, and everything is not against you. In fact, as we see, actually, Jacob, everything is working for you right now. This is God not only trying to get your family in safety to Egypt, it's God trying to reunite you with your lost son, Joseph. That's what God's trying to do. But so often, that's what we do is, is life begins to get hard. And what's really happening is God is trying to push us. He's trying to be like, no, I, I want you to go this way. You're, you're stubborn. You're resistant. You don't want to go this way. I'm pushing you this way. And we're like, everything is against me. And I know that it's hard, man, because pain is real. But we need to slow down enough to say, maybe it's not. Maybe God is trying to get me to go somewhere and do something. See, Overreaction blinds us to wisdom and it tends to spread to other people. <laughs> when we're overreacting, here's what we need more than anything 
is we need a few loving, gentle friends who have permission to say to us, I I love it. I've got three or four people in my life. One of them is my wife. One of them is Pastor Brandon, who just over the past, you know, 10 years, there have been a few times where I'm reacting to something and they can just gently be like, hey, for sure this hurts. And I can see why it reminds you of this previous pain. Any chance you're overreacting, no. Any chance this isn't really exactly like that and it seems like you're viewing this thing through the lens of that thing, but really they're not, they're not the same. Any chance, Carter, that you're overreacting? If you don't have friends like that, I would just encourage you to pray for friends that you trust enough who can just suggest to you in love, it might be that you're overreacting. Here's the second thing that's going wrong with Jacob, and that is self-pity. I know none of you holy people have ever, you know, dipped into self-pity, but I guess Jacob did. And here's what happens when we're dipping into self-pity is we begin to have a little pity parade. Anybody ever been to a pity parade? Yeah, for the most part, you're the only one there, okay? People don't come to your pity parade. They're at their own, but they don't come to yours. And here's what's even worse. God doesn't tend to come to pity parades, he doesn't join in. He doesn't start to, oh, poor you, yes. He doesn't start to do that. And, but man, we're blowing the trumpet, you know, dun, 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 dun. like this is our parade. We're throwing candy to ourselves. My pity parade. It is so sad and so bad for me. It reminds me of one of the greatest movies of all time, uh, Fellowship, or not Fellowship, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. Okay, I don't know if you remember this, but and sorry if you don't know what these are. I don't have time to explain it. But okay, so Theoden and Aragorn. Everybody's kind of like in the hall of the king. And everybody's telling Theoden, the, the, the kind of st- he's kind of a Jacob. He's a stuck king. Okay, he's afraid. He's afraid to step out because he's got 10,000 orcs that are coming at him right now. And they're like, hey, king, look, these 10,000 orcs are coming. And he's like, look, I will not go to war. And Aragorn, who is in, in many ways the truer king, says, King, open war is upon you. In other words, you don't have a choice whether or not you're going to war. It is going to happen. What you need to do is quit feeling sorry for yourself, quit trying to find a way out of it, and just deal with it. Embrace it. Because if you don't deal with it, you gonna die. Go ahead and tell yourself that. Say, you gonna die if you don't deal with this stuff sometimes. And that's really what's happening to Jacob. Um, Jacob, I don't know if you've noticed this. You are starving. All your kids are going to die. If you don't fix this, this is the one solution that seems to have presented itself. If you don't get all this, if you don't get out, snap out of your victimhood. If you don't deal with this situation, quit telling us, Jacob, about how sad it is for you. And why don't you start telling us how great and how powerful and how strong God is because that's the God I know you know. That's the God you've already seen move. Why don't you quit talking about you and start talking about him? Verse 37, then Reuben said to his father, okay, this is now, this is my vote for the dumbest verse in the Bible. You ready? This, this might be it. Okay, dumbest verse. Here we go. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you, entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. Okay, 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 wait. So, so Reuben, your solution is, um, if you don't bring Jacob's one son back, he can, 
kill his two grandsons? All right, Ruben, go sit over in the corner, man. You don't get to talk at family meetings anymore. All right, just when you can quit being a moron, okay, just be quiet. The adults are talking. Go chill out, Ruben, okay? He's, he's, he's overreacting just like his dad. Okay, that's a bad idea. But I do want you to notice that even in the midst of that, there is still a sense from Jacob of like, I don't have time to hear any other perspectives. So here we go, verse 38. Jacob said, my son will not, he just decides, my son will not go down there with you. His brother's dead and he's the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you're taking, you'll bring my gray head down to the grave. And so here's his closed mindedness. Okay, Jacob, there's no other options here. There's, you, you can't consult with anybody else. These are not children anymore. These are grown men with their wives. They've probably got some kind of counsel they could contribute to. Can, can, how about this? Let's spend an hour and come up with 17 options. Can we just do that? Jacob, don't you know any of the people in the surrounding communities? Can't you go find somebody to ask advice to? But see, when we're a victim, we forget that there's other people on this planet that are really smart. There's going to be, check it out, and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but there's going to be these amazing, awesome, mind-blowing ideas that come from not you. They're, they're going to go way over here. You never would have thought of that. But just asking, just asking for counsel, just inviting people in and say, hey, here's my situation. What do you think? Instead of isolating, instead of just saying, I'm just a victim and nobody understands. Here's what I found out. God doesn't need everyone to understand the fullness of your trauma to be a voice for him into it. Are we hearing that? God doesn't need for everyone else to understand. Sometimes we just want people to understand. And we do need people to understand. We need, we need some TLC from people. But they don't need to understand everything about it for God to begin to speak through them. If we will just open up instead of shut down. One of the ways that we should run to right away is, okay, in our own particular trials and problems, if you are the smartest person in every room you're in, which is a really bad thing, by the way, if you're always the smartest person in the room, um, we need to find better rooms. We need to find smarter, smarter people, okay? And sometimes one of the ways you do that, if, if you don't have any smarter people directly around you, baby, there's a lot of books that you just pick up. There's a lot of podcasts that you can tune into. There's a lot of YouTube vids now that somebody, some expert in this field has talked about this. And instead of just sitting there and it stuck like Jacob, we can go for counsel. But then negativism. I just, I just want you to know this is one final thing about about Jacob, it's his negativism, man. He's prophesying how bad it is going to be instead of talking about how great and big his God is. Now, this is, this is the moment where here's what he should have done. Here's what I wish he could have done. And I know that Jacob's probably in heaven right now saying, Carter, I got all kinds of things that you should have done, you know, that I could weigh on now. And he certainly could, but his is in the Bible, so we're gonna talk about his. Here's what he should have done. He should have said, Everybody get over here right now. Come on, come on, hold hands. We're gonna get down on our knees. We're gonna pray. Come on, Reuben, you can come out of the corner. Come on, everybody. Here's why, because God is big. I have seen God move with my brother Esau. I've seen him move with Uncle Laban. I've seen him move in our lives, in our grandparents' lives. Like I'm telling you, I don't know what God is up to, but maybe this is God. Maybe this is how God's gonna do it. Everybody, let's believe about God. Let's pray about God because what he should have been focused on is leaving a godly legacy instead of shutting down and be like, oh, well, I'm just a guy that used to believe God. And maybe that's where some of us are right now. I, 
once upon a time you were on fire and then you got hurt. And baby, I'm so sorry that you got hurt, but too much is riding on this. You need to get up because what God is it that you know? This is the living God. This is the true God. This is Jehovah Jireh. This is the God who can do anything. This is Jesus Christ. The very power that raised him from the dead is alive and living on the inside of you. That's who we're talking about. So let's just decide, I do not die here. Jacob, there is a promised land for you to get to, sir. You need to get on with it and stir up faith in your boys rather than just laying down and dying. But that doesn't happen. <laughs> and a little bit of time goes by. Can y'all handle this kind of preaching? Is this all right? Or are you just like, man, I wish this guy would shut up? Okay, we'll keep going. A little bit of time goes by and we don't know how, how long, but we know it's enough time for them to eat all the food they brought back from Egypt. And I would think they brought a little bit. I would think they brought, you know, it's a famine. They probably, I'm thinking, I'm guessing here, I have no idea. It's at least between two weeks and two months that they've been sitting around now. And we know because the food is all out. Verse, verse one, now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain that they'd brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. Um, verse three, but Judah said to him, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother Benjamin along with us, we'll go down and we'll buy food for you. But if you'll not send him, we will not go down because the man said to us, you'll not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? Isn't this like crazy jumping at shadows? Why did you bring that up? You knew that's what he would do. Reminds me of the Christmas story scene. When, when, you know, the old man, I think that's even his name in the script, the old man, uh, you know, the, 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 sorry if you don't know it, um, the, the mom breaks the leg lamp, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and he goes, you used up all the glue on purpose, not a finger, and then he runs out of the room. That's what he's reminding me. Jacob, that doesn't make any sense. They didn't say that just to get Simeon to have to stay. That's how it worked. Verse 7. The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living, he asked? Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How were we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that when we and you and our children, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. <clears throat> now, Jacob is paralyzed still, but something begins to come back to life in Judah. The Bible's long and big, so let me just tell you some other surrounding story. All of the brothers have been examples of not integrity before the Lord. Like they haven't been doing the family plan. They haven't had their act together. They haven't been operating any kind of moral excellence at all. And Judah was one of the specific guys pointed out for, he, man, this guy's not living up to his name. And yet, here he begins to lead. He begins to take his rightful place. He begins to say, dad, 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 okay, I'm going to do this. I can handle this. No, you're not killing my kids, but I'm going, I'm going to handle this, Dad. And that's, that's something we need to understand is sometimes when we just give ourselves to what we're supposed to do, something begins to come back to life on the inside of us. Sometimes when we just go back to the last thing you knew, go back to the last thing that was obedience that you understood, go back to the last time that you were on fire and this entire family begins to see what is the title of the series? Redemption. It's right here. 
that it begins to come back. Somebody says, well, maybe God will help us. Well, maybe God will help us. I think maybe I'll get up. I'll take the risk. He goes on to verse nine. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I'll bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags. Take them down to the man as a gift. Little balm, little honey, some spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Listen to this. Take a double amount of the silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. It's, it started with Judah. It's moving on to Jacob. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty. This is the first time Jacob has even brought up the God that has been so faithful to him. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your father, let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. He throws in his lot with God. And he himself begins, he starts leading, he starts, all right, I'm giving direction. All right, we're, we're, we're doing this thing. I haven't seen Jacob lead like this, I don't think ever. And yet he's coming back to life. Somebody started to believe Reminds me of Neo in the Matrix. He's beginning to believe. That's what's happening right here, man. Jacob is beginning to believe. Oh, there is hope now because he's beginning to believe. Even an old victim becomes a conqueror when they decide to trust God. Let's jump over to number one, overcoming a victim's perspective. Number one, believe healing is really possible. Believe healing is really possible. And may God Almighty grant you mercy. This is where God begins to restore his courage. Jeremiah 17, 14 says this, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved for you are my praise. Look, look, God wants to get us to the place. Oh, I know you can't do it. Of course you can't do it. You're not going to do it. But if God does it, hey, if God does it, hey, can you believe that God, I know you can't do it. What if God did it though? Can you believe that if God did it, it would be done. You would be healed. The thing would be solved. You would be past this. And he might not get you out, but if you would just start with God could, God could do it. Yes, he could. I will rise up this day and I will believe my God. First Peter 1.3 says it this way, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Stop right there. God has given us everything we need. Hey, he might not have given you everything that you want, but he has given you everything that you need to move forward in the plan of God. Nobody can keep you from God's will for your life. You have the power with God's help to do it by yourself. Slap somebody, say, by yourself. With Jesus, you can do it if you just decide, I already have everything I need. I don't need to wait on everything. I can take my step of obedience right now and begin to trust God. You're well able to do this. And of course, sometimes it takes time. It was going to take time. It was going to take time for the yeah, dude, They have to go back to Egypt and go through all sorts of rigmarole. But it's, redemption starts here when they start to believe in God Almighty's power. And it might take some Bible Psalm 107, 20, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. However you are going to get healed of a victim mindset, however I'm going to get healed of my future hurts, it's really going to come best as we spend time in the pages of scripture. 
That's where God speaks to our hearts. That's where he reminds me. I remember one time my sin had me so depressed. I was so down. I'm sitting on the front stoop. I'm like, God, I'm just, uh, I just, I'm such a disappointment to myself. And he led me to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now, many of you know that verse, okay? It says, for no temptation has seized you, but what is common to man. And it goes on to say, God's gonna give you power to get out, you know, he's gonna give you some way to get out of this temptation. And that's usually where we focus on. But the Holy Spirit kept pushing me back to the front of the verse. No, go back. No, go back. Anybody ever had one of those? You're like, I'm stubbornly gonna read. And God's like, stop, slow down. And he pushes me back. No temptation has seized you, but what is common to man? He was saying, Carter, Carter, yes, sin is bad, man. It is. You're not an especially bad sinner. Y'all are all like this, okay? You're not in a special category. The things that you struggle with, mankind struggles with, and it's okay. And that time in his word, I was like, oh, cool, all right. Well, let's get on with the plan of God. Then like suddenly I was, okay. And there have been a thousand times over the past 25 years that God has some little nugget from scripture just, just tuned up the engine, man. Suddenly I'm, oh, all right, back to good. That's what we need when we're really wrestling with a victim mentality. So do you believe that God has the power to heal you? And largely that's gonna come through his spirit-blessed word life. I'll give you two more and we'll close. Proverbs 18.9, really important one. In my own wrestlings with a victim mentality. God led me to this verse. He was loose and slack in his work as brother to him who is a destroyer and he who does not use his endeavors to heal himself is brother to him who commits suicide. Is brother to he who commits suicide. He who does not use his endeavors to heal himself. Sometimes we're so busy blaming everybody else. Well, you know, this went wrong, God, and I can't believe they did that. It's really hard for me to forgive them. If he doesn't use his endeavors to heal himself, He's just like the person who, spiritually speaking, commits suicide. And I got this picture of me just lying outside, stabbed, 20 feet from the hospital door. And I just felt the spirit impressing on my heart. If that person has the power to get up and walk into the hospital and they don't, they're essentially killing themselves because they have the power to get well and they're not doing anything about it. If we just wallow, and say, well, poor, is, poor little old me, instead of saying, look, I can't fix it, I can't change it, but I can take steps toward God. I can take steps toward his healing. I can believe again that he will use, find some way to work this for his glory and his purpose, and I don't have to stay stuck looking backwards just to try to go forward all the time. I can get to this place where like, oh yeah, I remember that, but it's not really that big of a deal in my heart anymore. God can God can do that, but he, sometimes he's waiting on us. He says, precious, don't just sit there and wait around and be bitter for the next 10 years before you decide, I'm deciding to get up and walk into that hospital so I'm not here for the rest of my life, Jacob. Get up and let's get going. How many think this is a good word so far? And I'll tell you what, man, some of the things that really helped me and, and oh my gosh, we can't get into this message right now. Um, A lot of really hard things have happened to people over the past 2,000 years. And some of them wrote it down. And they exist in things like bi biographies. So in my really dark moments, it really wasn't that hard. If you just look, you can find people that have lived, are living, or have died a long time ago that went through way harder stuff than you. 
and you see how God uses it. So I remember in some of my darkest times, I start reading Hudson Taylor and his spiritual secret. I read about him burying one of his kids on the beach in China. Just random beach. I just got to bury him here and move on. I'm like, wow, that's a little harder than the thing I'm going through. I read about Jim Baker and his fall from grace and then his completely repentant story in his book, I Was Wrong. I was like, wow, he made way way worse mistakes than I did. And it's looking at those other people. Wow, God actually, God does stuff with people that are broken. And he brings through people, people through stuff that I couldn't imagine how hard that is. And God still does it. And what does that do? What do you need more than anything when you're in a victim mindset is you need faith. And if you don't have faith of your own, you can borrow it from people that already went through hard stuff. You can look at what they did and say, bless God, if they can get through it, I can get through it. But if we never know about any of that stuff, then we're just going to stay stuck. We'll get to that after Easter. That's, that's coming. I promise it's going to be fiery. Okay. Here's number two. It's the last one. We're almost done. Do what you now know to do. Do what you now know to do. Believe healing is really possible and do what you now know to do. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. That's really important that it says, lean not on your own understanding. That means, hey, um, you're not going to totally get it. You're not going to see how it works out. Don't wait, Jacob, until you see how it all comes together with Joseph and there's a big chariot and it's all pretty. Don't wait for that. Do what, what do you know to do? See, if you start spending time in God's word, you're going to find all kinds of stuff. You're like, oh, not doing that, not doing that. Oh, there's a gossip thing. Yeah, okay. There's a forgiveness thing. I'm not doing that thing. Okay, yeah, there's a love walk with my neighbor. Yeah, I'm, I'm missing that. Maybe it's not something big. It's just something little. But God says, you start with what you know to do. Jacob, go get that boy in Egypt. Go get him. You know that's the next step. I ain't telling you all of it. Do the next thing. Do the thing that you know to do. And here, because this is really important, here's what, here's what Jacob doesn't know that we know. This really means a lot, Jacob, that you pass this test. Because I know you've passed tests before. And many of us, you've passed tests before. But don't let that throw you. Pass this test. Pass this test. Because for Jacob, what it's going to do, it's going to reunite you with the son that you don't even know is still alive. And, and I'm just saying, this isn't why you care, but he's rich, Jacob, all right? Y'all going to be fine after you meet with him. And this is going to bust you back into the destiny of God for this family. It's going to get you into Egypt, which is where the family is supposed to be. And you don't know all that, but you need to take this step now. And I just wonder how many things are up ahead that, man, it kind of matters that we believingly obey God next. It kind of matters. You don't have to do perfect but do what you now know to do. Whatever it is, however small, it starts with, I'm just gonna step toward the Lord and take one step of faith and obedience because God can do a lot with faith and obedience because even an old victim, I don't care what happened to you. I'm sorry it did, but here you are now. Even an old victim becomes a conqueror when they decide to trust God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters present right now. Lord, I pray for an energizing. I pray for that trickle of faith to break forth into a mighty river. 
Uh, it is painful. And the places we've been hurt, we do need you to rub your balm on them. We need you to heal them with the presence of Jesus. But God, we need you to give us faith again that it doesn't have to be the way it's been, that you take our hurts and you use them to help others and to glorify your name. God, help us to not get stuck here. Help us to see, even if it's a baby step, what we need to do next to take a step toward you. And God, here's what we're asking. We're believing for, not just a little better, we're believing for redemption of entire areas of life. That's what we're asking for. Help us to be the kinds of people that when we are on our last oldest days, people will say, they kept the legacy. They kept on believing. They didn't, they didn't let the fire snuff out at the end. They kept on going with everything they had. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.